Amen. Hey, good morning and happy 4th of July. I'm only two days late, but it's good to see you all here uh, safe after the 4th. Um, John and Kim Amstutz and their family are up in gorgeous, beautiful Fresno this weekend uh, visiting with their family. They had a big family get together up there. So, um, so we get to open the word together this morning, and I'm, I'm excited to, to come and be with you. You know, I was, uh, when John asked me to, to speak, uh, I started to pray about what the Lord would have uh, me, me speak on, and, um, and I really felt like the Lord told me to speak on freedom. And so I know it would seem cliche or kind of like cute to, to go off the theme of freedom, uh, freedom this weekend, but it was by no coincidence it was the Lord speaking that he wants us to experience freedom. And so as we engage together and open the word together this morning, I want to invite you to open your heart to receive freedom from the Lord this morning. Can we do that? All right. So, hey, I was looking at just some fun stats about the 4th of July, and um, I found some things about fireworks. You know, if you took all of the, the weight of all of the fireworks that were shot off this weekend alone, it would weigh more than the Statue of Liberty. I was like, wow, just the weight of it. And it would cost, the cost of, of everything this weekend was about three quarters of a billion dollars that went boom in the sky. Isn't that crazy? Highest, higher than the biggest Powerball jackpot ever. And... Uh, and I was, uh, I, I don't know if you caught this on TV, but I watched the, uh, the Nathan's Coney Island Hot Dog Eating Championship. Any of you catch that on TV? It's actually covered on ESPN as a sport. I don't know about that, how that's a sport. So uh, I watched, uh, what was his name? Um, Corey, uh, Corey Chestnut. Is the, is the reigning champion, eight-time champion. He ate 61 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes. So I, I hope you didn't outpace him in your celebrating the 4th of July. That's, that's kind of crazy. But actually, we, um, the, over this weekend, Americans will have consumed 150 million hot dogs. Can you believe that? How many of you contributed to that this weekend? Anybody? All right, you are among the chosen 150 million. We love to celebrate freedom and independence in, in this nation. It's something that we value highly and we, we celebrate and we honor. We have a declaration of independence that, that states that we should, as Americans, have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We value that liberty. We have a constitution that uh, protects and safeguards our freedoms. Freedoms like freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of assembly, freedom of petition, freedom of democracy, and freedom from slavery. Freedom is an inspiring concept. We, uh, we, love, we love the concept of freedom. In fact, we love it in our movies even, right? We celebrate it in our movies. Movies like Mandela and Malcolm X. Uh, movies like Braveheart. Come on, any Braveheart fans? I know at any time the per- somebody mentions Braveheart, I think William Wallace, the war paint, freedom, right? I mean, we can just like picture that. We celebrate freedom. 
This morning, I want to look at the freedom that Jesus Christ brings in our lives. It's greater than a national pride. It is an eternal significant thing that we have freedom through Jesus Christ. Take a look at Isaiah 61, one with me. It says, the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim what? Freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners. So here's the gospel. The gospel is essentially this. We have freedom in Jesus Christ. We have been freed because of what he did on the cross for us, taking our sin and paying the debt that we owed for our own sin. We've been freed by that so that we can have relationship with God. And so we, we have this restored relationship. So we can be freed this morning by him. Now our mission, we've been talking a lot about mission. Our mission is that we take that freedom and we go and take it to the world. God frees us and we have relationship and we go and we take that message to other people. And we've been talking a lot about mission here as a church. We're making that kind of more of a focus as we reach out and try to reach the community and the world for Jesus Christ. And so we've been working through the book of Matthew, talking about what mission is, what it looks like, what Jesus said about it, how we can be a part of that and, uh, and discovering it together. Well, this morning, I want to look at how the aspect of freedom plays into that, because I believe that gospel freedom is the catalyst for mission. Listen to that. Let me say that again. Gospel freedom is the catalyst for mission. It's when we are freed by the gospel in our lives that we can truly be on mission for Jesus Christ. But it starts with this concept of finding freedom. Now, unfortunately, not all of us pay as close of attention to our spiritual freedom as we do to our civil freedoms, our civil rights. We might fight for uh, civil rights, but, but do we fight for our spiritual freedom? Well, unfortunately, I think that sometimes we fall, fall into what I call the sin cycle. These cycles of sin that enslave us and rob us from the freedom that Jesus Christ has for us. I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. See, this sin cycle, it it looks something like this. We're serving the Lord, and then the enemy comes, and he gives us some sort of temptation. Now, that could be all different kind of things for, for all of us. But he tempts us and entices us with these things. And they sink, he sinks his claws into us and drags us into this pattern of sin. And before we know it, it, it spiraled out of control. It's compounded. It's become part of our lifestyle. And where we used to live in freedom, now we're slaves to this, this sin that controls us. We can't shake it. And this plays out over and over So we serve the Lord, we fall into sin, we're enslaved by that sin, we cry out to God, He delivers us, and then we serve the Lord, we fall into sin, we're enslaved by it, and it keeps playing out over and over and over. The nation of Israel had had played that cycle out. In fact, if you read the book of Judges, the whole book is about how uh, they were serving the Lord and then they would start following other idols and worshiping other idols. 
and then they would be conquered and enslaved, and then God would raise, they'd cry out to God, he'd raise up a ruler, and he'd set them free, and they'd serve the Lord, and it happened over and over and over in the life of Israel, God's chosen people. Paul, Paul, the apostle Paul, we know he dealt with that too, right? The sin cycle was alive and well with him. We read in Romans chapter 7, verse 21, it says, Paul is saying, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? But thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. Amen. So Paul even dealt with this cycle of sin. He says, I don't want to do some of the stuff I'm doing, but I do it anyway. I can't help it. I'm st- we get stuck in this cycle of sin. But God can set us free from being prisoners in that. The thing that, um, that, that I, I want to address, I guess, the, the core issue is that I feel like oftentimes we can experience some of God's freedom as Christians, but not all of his freedom. So we, we'll, give him, we'll experience freedom in one part of our lives, but not all of our lives. We hold on to stuff. Or we'll experience God's freedom for a time, but then the enemy sinks those claws in and drags us back in, and, and, and we experience freedom for a time, but then we enter right back into the cycle. And so if we're truly going to be about God's mission, we need to first be set free as his people and be uh, ready to live in that freedom, a lasting freedom. Because here's the result. If we, if we are still in bondage and slavery to sin in either one area or our whole lives or even a little bit, instead, when we go on mission, when we go and reach out to other people, instead of God demonstrating his love and his power in our lives through us, we can only represent mission as an idea. We represent mission as an ideal, as a concept. But since it's not alive and active and we're not living in freedom, that's where it ends. We don't demonstrate it through our lifestyle. Or people see us living free for a while, but then when we start back in the sin cycle, then they're like, wait a second. That doesn't add up. Christians have taken quite a hard rap for being hypocritical. And that's a lot of the reason why. Because we're flawed individuals who get caught back in this sin cycle. But God wants to set us free from those things. You know, we've all experienced them. Sins that enslave, you know, some of the sins that really enslave, that that draw you in to where they become out of control or are maybe some things like alcohol abuse, self-harm, pornography, debt that becomes out of control, adultery, gossip, eating disorders, idolatry, drug abuse, anger, lying. And you know, the chances are really good that in a room this size, the people, the people that you greeted this morning with a smile and you asked them how their fourth was and you shook their hand, that they're probably dealing with one of those right now. 
or they have in the past, and, and they're trying to avoid the cycle of getting caught in that again. Because we all deal with the sin cycle in one way or another. There's these sins that drag us in. But God wants freedom for us. We're, uh, we're going to take a detour from the book of Matthew, and we're going to look at a story in the book of John, John chapter 4, where Jesus had this encounter that brought freedom in somebody's life. If you have a Bible or an electronic device, I invite you to follow along because the, the main passage won't be on the screens. And we're going to read a chunk of it together, so I, I invite you to follow along. So um, this is the story of the woman at the well. It's called the, the woman at the well. And Jesus was, um, Jesus was traveling. He was on his way from uh, Judea to Galilee. And right in the middle of Judea and Galilee was Samaria. And so Jesus passes through Samaria, and on the way, he encounters this woman. And so we pick up the story um, in John chapter 4, verse 5. So if you're there, go ahead and follow along with me um, as I read. So he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of, of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Okay, now pause for a moment there. Uh, let's kind of take a little, uh, a little break here to look at some of the, the culture that's involved in this. So number one, he, he's in Samaria. So who are the Samaritans? The Samaritans were this group of people who they were, they were Jews that had broken God's covenant and had been exiled. They had been banished, basically. So... God had made the the covenant with his people that they were not to intermarry with any other peoples because God knew that if they did that, they would take on the idols and they would worship false gods that would take them away from the one true God. And so God's covenant with his people, the nation of Israel, the Jews, was to not intermarry. Well, the Samaritans were those who had broken that covenant and had intermarried with other cultures and other people groups and so the jews had 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 banished them and so they were they would not even associate with them and so now we find jesus very interesting jesus chooses to go and be in samaria engaging with a samaritan woman now if a jew was making that same trip they would it was very common they would go all the way around samaria at a far greater distance, just to avoid those that they had felt had violated the covenant. They were an abomination to God. And yet we find Jesus engaging a Samaritan. Jesus chose to go to Samaria. He chose to go right through them. He chose to go to an outcast people. It's unbelievable that he would do that. But it's interesting that God actually used a Samaritan also in one of his parables as the hero. We call it the parable of the good Samaritan. It was somebody at need on the side of the road and all of these 
uh, religious and Jewish people passed, and it was the Samaritan that went out of his way. And God, Jesus is showing that he values every, every people group, regardless of who they are, every background, every color, every language, every people group can experience God's freedom. Well, he encounters this woman at the well, right? So now, now he's talking to a woman, and she's surprised by this. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, and, and me, a woman, you can ask me to serve you a drink? Because that just, that wasn't done. She, as a Samaritan, was already on the outs. And then her, as a woman, she had one of the lowest places in society. And so a Jewish man never would have in, engaged her in conversation. That would not have happened. And then on top of that, she was a woman living in a cycle of sin. That's interesting, huh? It says that she came to the well at noon. Why did she come at noon? In Samaria, and in that particular area, they would have gone to the well early in the morning and later in the evening when it was cool. This is a hot, arid part of the world. And so it doesn't make sense that she would go at noon in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. It's, the reason we'll find out is because she had a reputation among people. She had a reputation for her sin. She was alienated by her own people for her sin. And so in isolation, in shame, and to avoid people, she goes to the well in the middle of the day. She thinks that she's avoiding people, but she engages a Jewish man who eventually brings her freedom. I love that because Jesus shows that freedom is for every social class, every kind of people, regardless of past sins, regardless of what we're caught in. His freedom is for us today. So this woman, she shows us now in this story how to exchange, how to move from the, her cycle of sin to a cycle of freedom as she engages God. And so let's, let's unpack this a little bit now. How do we, a people who are prone to this cycle of sin in our lives, how do we transition and break that cycle of sin? Well, number one, it starts by encountering Jesus. That's where it begins. And she has this encounter with Jesus. Let's read on about uh, and, and look at her encounter with Jesus. Uh, continuing there in verse 10 of chapter 4. It says, Jesus answered her after she asked, how can, you, how can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself and, and did also his sons and livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Talking about the natural water in the well. They will be thirsty again. Verse 14, but whoever drinks the water... I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and keep having to come here to draw water. See, only Jesus can give 
living water. Now, what did Jesus mean by living water? He was talking about the life-giving freedom that only he could bring. Now, the woman, she obviously, she didn't get that. She thought that he was talking about natural water, like living water was maybe running water. Like she didn't quite get what he's talking about here. But we all have a thirst for God. And she actually says, I want this water that you're talking about so that I don't have to keep coming back to the well. I want this water that will quench my thirst. And for her, that meant I won't have to leave my isolation and be embarrassed in front of people. It was personal to her. I won't have to be ridiculed and mocked for my reputation of sin as an idolater, as an, as an adulterer. I won't have to en- en- engage with that and encounter that. And so she wants this. But Jesus is talking about the thirst we have for God. We all have that thirst. What's, what's the thirstiest you've ever been? Think about that for a second. What's the thirstiest you've ever been? I, I, uh, I went back. To, no, it was actually just a hike. It was a hiking one time. It was a day hike in uh, Yosemite. And we decided, I was with, on spring break with some friends, and we decided we were going to hike up to the top of Half Dome. Now, that's no joke hike. That's, that's like 16 miles round trip. It's, um, it's pretty hardcore, lots of elevation gain. And uh, so we didn't quite know what we were getting into, but we're like, we better prepare for this. So we prepared by each of us. Each of us got one bottle, 16-ounce bottle of water. Oh, that'll be plenty of water. You know, no problem. I burned through that in the first like three or four miles, and I'm like, I'm in trouble here. I'm in trouble. We got up to elevation, and by the time we got to elevation, like up above the tree line, we were dizzy. We were so dehydrated. I, you know, I was sweating. It was hot out, and it was the time of year where it's like the sun is beating, but there's still snowpack on the ground. And so here we are, we're like digging through the snowpack, trying to take chunks and shove it into our bottles to melt it in the sun to get water. We were so thirsty. In fact, my, a couple of my friends, they, we got up to the rock face and they didn't even make it up the rock face. They, they said, no way, we can't do it because they were too dizzy. They couldn't even like, they couldn't, they couldn't even see straight. So we finally made it all the way back down. We rehydrated, but I remember that was, that was one of the thirstiest times I have ever been. We all have a thirst for God. We're born with a thirst for God. And, and he provides this living water. Only he can provide that. And we have to encounter him in order to receive it, in order to have that thirst, that thirst quenched, in order to receive that, that life that his freedom gives You know, as Jesus engaged this woman, he didn't give her four spiritual laws. He didn't give her some nifty sermon with fill in the blanks. Uh, He didn't have like lots of illustrations. He was the illustration. He was the one to give new life, living water to give her freedom. Where do we encounter Jesus? Where do you encounter Jesus? Hopefully we encounter him as we gather here on, together and worship and open the word together. I love to encounter Jesus in my community group. 
That is one of the most life-giving places for me. I love it. If you're not involved in a community group, I highly recommend that you get involved. We're, we're actually right now, uh, just a sneak peek, we're, getting, uh, we're training more leaders right now to offer more options for, for community groups to fit more types of people and more uh, schedules. We know you're busy, but we, we want that to be a value here at New Hope. But surely we don't just encounter Jesus in church-organized events and activities. We encounter Jesus all the time as we go about our daily routine. As we are open to encountering Him, He shows up and we encounter His living water. We, we experience that in unexpected places even as we're open to receiving. But do you look for those things? Do you look for encounters with Jesus? Are you open to those? Or are you so set on your busy schedule that, you, you're, not, that you're oblivious to those encounters? Some of us, we stay in that place of oblivion, oblivion not, not tuning in to the encounters that are before us with Jesus, and we're thirsty. We're thirsty because of it. We need to drink living water. So living water starts with encountering Jesus. This, the freedom that the woman found, it started with encountering Jesus. So that's the first step in breaking the sin cycle is having encounters with Jesus where he can pour life into our weariness. The second way that we break the sin cycle is that we surrender to Jesus by surrendering to him. Now, I don't know about you, but surrendering is not something I usually like to do. Surrendering for us kind of, we can, we can see that as weak or it means that we're admitting defeat, right? Surrendering has like a negative connotation to it. And I'm a, I'm a pretty competitive guy. I, uh, I have a pretty strong will to, to win, to push through, and, and to compete. I remember in, um, in college, a lot of stupid college things here this morning. And when I was in college, one of the things we would do in the dorms for fun was we would play shots. Now, that is, it doesn't have anything to do with alcohol. It sounds like it does, but it doesn't. But what, what shots was, was one guy would like brace themselves and, 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 and get ready for impact. And the other one from across the room would, with all of the might and energy and strength they could muster, they would, at a running pace, go and punch the other person in the shoulder. We did this for fun. This is like, I know, stupid. But we would do this, and the, the goal was to see who could last the longest. So you don't want to surrender. You don't want to pull out. And so, unfortunately, I had one good friend of mine who's equally as competitive and stubborn as I am. And so one night we were playing this, and we went literally for like a two hours straight. By the time we were done, we called it a draw. Both of us, our arms were like round. It was not muscle. <laughs> it was swollen. It was purple and black and blue and all nasty shades it was terrible and i mean we were a mess and it was simply because neither of us would give in and i think sometimes we do that we we don't want to give in we dig in our heels because we want to keep control because we don't want to surrender 
And sometimes God's calling us out to experience freedom and we're digging in our heels because surrendering is scary. When we surrender to God, He requires us to surrender everything. And that can be really scary. But it's also where we experience complete freedom and victory. It's where this woman experienced freedom and victory. It'll cost you everything, but it will move you forward. You know, I, I, I know that some people, this is, this is funny, sometimes we, we go from moving in the sin cycle to moving to recovery. And recovery is part of the process of getting to freedom. But some of us don't make it to freedom. We exchange the sin cycle for the recovery cycle. And we just keep it like in the recovery cycle. And that becomes our identity. We take on a victim's identity. And so we just maintain like experiencing recovery again and again and again. And we never move forward to freedom. Now, recovery is, I'm not downplaying the significance of that. That's an important part of finding freedom, but it's part of that journey. So don't get caught there. We want to exchange the sin cycle for freedom, for the freedom cycle. And that's what this woman was able to do as she encountered living water. Now, now Jesus, he's going to address the sin cycle in her life. Let's continue the story. Let's look in verse 16 as he continues to bring her now to a point of surrender. In verse 16, it says, He told her, Go call your husband to come and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Aha, now we see why she's so ashamed. Now we see the cycle of sin that she's been caught in. She's had five husbands, and right now she's living in adultery. And Jesus calls her sin cycle out. He says, I know that. I know what you're living in right now. He brought her to a point of, of confession and surrender. This might sound kind of mean to just call out somebody's sin hardcore like that. But he's, he's giving her the opportunity to come to him and surrender those things. He was engaging her. It was to encounter, for her to encounter him so that she could surrender. And so he calls her out. And, and what's her response? I love this. What's her response? She probably does what most of us would, would have done. She changes the subject. I love that. He calls her out on her sin and she changes the subject. So instead of like surrendering and choosing to surrender to him, she brings up this, um, you know, she said, I can see you're a prophet because you know everything about my life. So I can see you're kind of a religious person. So she talks about worship. They had this ongoing debate um, between the Jews and the Sumerians about where, you, where it was okay to worship. Because the Jews said you, the only valid place to worship God was in the temple in Jerusalem. Well, the Samaritans, they were not allowed to go there because they were the outcasts. They had broken the covenant. And so they set up their own temples and they were worshiping God in their own temples. And the Jews said, that's not a legitimate place to worship. So she brings up, she's like, oh, this will get them. I'll bring up worship. 
where's the right place to worship? She diverts the conversation and changes the subject. But Jesus, he lovingly persists and keeps at it. And he, he goes now from revealing himself kind of as the, um, in story and, and kind of hinting that he's the Messiah, uh, even speaking into her life. Now he just comes out and lays it on the line and lets her have it. Listen to this. Uh, follow along with me in verse 25. So the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Talking about this worship debate. Obviously, she does not get who she's talking to. But in verse 26, Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Uh oh. <laughs> now, what's she going to do? There's no really getting around that one when this guy who's already told her everything about her life says, I'm the Messiah. It's decision time. She has the choice now to either surrender to him as Messiah or to reject him. It's her choice. That's all of our choice as well. When we come and encounter Jesus, we can either receive and by surrendering or we can go the other way. We can change the subject. We can go back to our sin. We can try to worship him in one area but hide our sin in another area. That's not what she did, fortunately. At that time, in that point in the conversation, she, she actually gets a minute to think about this and mull this over because the disciples come back into the picture. They had gone to get food, and they're back, and they come to the well, and they find Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. And they're like, what are you doing? We don't do that. Well, are you kidding me? So they have this little sidebar conversation with Jesus and it gives her a couple minutes to think about what just took place. Okay, this Jewish guy is talking to me, the sinner, Samaritan. He's offering me this living water and now he tells me he's the Messiah. Like she's, she's, she's pondering all these things and now look at her response in verse 28. It says, then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. She finally surrenders. She's finally transformed. She got it. It says she dropped everything. She dropped her water jar. The whole reason that she was there, she was thirsty. She drops her water jar because her, it's, that's not her identity anymore. She's been set free. She's experienced living water. And then, interesting, she, the same people that she had gone to the well at noon to avoid, now, who is she running to to tell this to? The people who had mocked her and ridiculed her for her life of adultery. And she goes to them and she says, you guys got to hear this guy. He told me everything I ever did. I think he's the Messiah. And so they come out and they experience Jesus as well. She surrendered to Jesus. When was the last time you dropped everything so that you could surrender to Jesus? Ooh, it's not hard. It's not easy to drop everything. 
We got appointments and schedules and kids' activities, and we got all kinds of stuff. We, we got a lot going on. Sometimes Jesus just calls us to pause, make some space, and surrender to him so that we, he can help us break this sin cycle. Galatians 1.5 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Verse 7, then it says, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? You see, there's a sin cycle that pulls us in. But if we can encounter Jesus and surrender to him those areas, we can receive freedom, life-giving water. We can experience that anew. So standing firm actually is surrendering. Surrendering isn't digging our heels in. It's surrendering to God, standing firm in him. So, okay, so we, we break the sin cycle by encountering Jesus and surrendering to him. That's, that is awesome. That's core. But a lot of us have done that before. And it hasn't stopped the sin cycle. It's just the first step in breaking it. So how do we experience lasting freedom? Where do we go to get lasting freedom that we don't continue to get pulled back into that cycle? She experienced, this woman experienced lasting freedom. Number one, worship freely. One way that we can experience lasting freedom is to worship freely. And that has to do with our priorities. It has to do with what we prioritize in our lives. Worship is what gives us access to be able to encounter Jesus and to surrender to him. That happens in worship. Jesus gave this woman access. In that conversation that when she tried to divert the conversation to talk about the places of worship and what was the right place of worship, let's go back and look at what Jesus told her, okay? Jesus, uh, he saw right through it. Okay, she's going to change the subject. I'm going to bring it right back. John chapter 4, verse 23. He says, A time is coming and has now come, it's come right now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So what's, God, what's Jesus saying here? She is having this conversation about, should we worship in Jerusalem or is it okay to worship here? Jesus comes and he cuts straight to the heart of the issue and he says, it's not about uh, where. It's not about a location. Because God is spirit. Anybody can worship God wherever they're at if they are worshiping in his spirit. Uh-oh. <laughs> Again, he's telling her, this outcast, this sinner, that you have access. Whether you're in Jerusalem, whether you're at the temple here, whether you're right here at the well, you have access to Jesus. You have access to living water. You have access to freedom. She wasn't expecting that. She wasn't expecting that response. But we as worshipers get to experience God's freedom. And it's, if we continue to worship and have that as the priority, it will help us. It will set us up for lasting 
freedom. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus Christ, the law of sp- the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. So when you struggle, when you're struggling and Satan's trying to entice you back into the sin cycle, worship. It'll break it every time. It'll break it. So we worship. So we embrace lasting freedom, one, by worshiping freely, and two, by receiving freely. Receiving freely. That has to do with relationship. She came and she found relationship with Jesus as she encountered and surrendered, and she was able to receive that relationship. Jesus goes to her, he offers living water, he confronts her sin, he invites her to worship, and he confesses to be the Messiah. He did everything he could so that she could freely receive that relationship. And he's done everything he can for us. She accepted that. She lived in that now. But we have to live in that as well. That freedom from guilt and shame. That forgiveness that only he can offer. It's made possible through relationship. Relationship of freedom. It is the gospel freedom that is the catalyst for mission. It's gospel freedom in our lives. We've got to first experience it and then we can live it and give it to other people. John chapter 8, verse 34 says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son, Jesus, sets you free, you'll be free indeed. He's done everything he can to give us access He's called us sons and daughters. He came and died on the cross. He took the burden of sin for us so that we could experience him. And when we receive him, that relationship transforms us. So we embrace this freedom, this lasting freedom, by worshiping freely, by receiving freely, and then it gets fun. We give freely. We give freely. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 17 and 18, it says, And the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord whose spirit. So as this transformation takes place, we take on the likeness of Christ. We experience that freedom, and because we reflect it, now we can freely give it. We can reflect it to a world that's dying of thirst. They need it, and they get to see it in us. That's mission. That's the mission we're talking about. Gospel freedom, freedom in in our lives, breaking the cycle of sin, is what allows us to have effective mission. And the natural response to to freedom is to go and tell people. That's what the woman did, right? She said, come and see the man who told me everything about myself. She went to those people who rejected her. The natural response is to go and tell people. And now the conclusion of the story. 
We get to see what happened as she did that. Look at the mission that took place in John 4, now verse 39. It says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged Jesus to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. Isn't that awesome? This woman, she encounters Jesus. She surrenders to him. She receives relationship with him. She goes and she tells. And what's the result? They're like, you're kidding. What are you talking about? And so they go out and they experience Jesus for themselves. And they're transformed. They encounter him. They surrender. They receive freedom. That is the cycle of freedom. It's freedom, bringing freedom into other people's lives to bring freedom into other people's lives. See, God never intended us to be caught in a cycle of sin. He wants us as his believers, as his followers, as his children to be caught in a beautiful cycle of freedom, liberating those who are caught by chains of addiction and sin that ensnares us and, and enslaves us. Freely you have received, now freely give. That's what it says in Matthew 10. It says, Jesus said that he commissioned the disciples and he said, go and preach this message. The kingdom of God is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, now freely go give it away. That's the commission Jesus gives us. First, receive it. Second, give it away. That is, is lasting freedom. Mission is the joy of being able to share God's glory with other people. Well, many of us have not experienced that level of freedom. We've experienced, like I, like I mentioned, we experience freedom for a time, but have been dragged back into the cycle. Or we experience freedom in an area, but not total and complete freedom. This morning, I want to invite you to encounter Jesus and to surrender to him, to begin to break the cycle and to begin to find lasting freedom. We're going to, in a few minutes, receive communion. And this is a point of remembrance as we remember what Christ did for us. But this morning, it's, it's, it's even more than that. This is our woman at the well moment as we receive the elements. It's an opportunity that that Christ left us to remember that we have freedom in him. He gave us these elements of, of the cup and the bread so that we could remember that his body was broken for us, that we could experience this freedom. And his blood was poured out for us to pay the penalty of our sin that we don't have to experience sin and death anymore we don't have to be in that cycle he's brought freedom and so we're going to receive uh, this morning but we're going to do that in worship and i i want to 
I want to just create some space for us to come before God and to surrender everything to Him. To break the cycle that maybe we find ourselves in today. I, and, that, and that might mean that you want to come and, and receive it here uh, along the front and, and, and get on your knees before the Lord or, or move out from your chairs and find other, some, some other place in the, in the building here or the, the room. It might mean that you want to you know, stand or sit or kneel or take whatever posture. Do whatever you need to do to create space to surrender to the Lord this morning. Jesus, at the Last Supper with his disciples, he gave them these elements and he said, uh, he, he took the bread and he gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is my cup. It's the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's encounter and surrender to Jesus this morning. Let's experience that freedom that he gives. Freely receive so that we can freely give and be part of the mission that we've been talking about. We can get really excited about mission, but if we're not experiencing God's freedom, we're not going to be able to demonstrate that to the world. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. That, Lord God, when we do stupid things, when we're caught in this cycle of sin, when, like the woman in this story, we're, we're enslaved by, by sin that we can't get a grasp of, that, Lord God, in the middle of that, that you meet us. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to get perfect before we're on mission with you. We don't have to get it all figured out. You use flawed people. But Lord God, this morning, we want to come before you as those flawed people saying, we surrender everything to you. Lord, we receive from you that living water that comes and washes us clean and brings new life and new freedom that we can live in that and let it be a catalyst to move us forward into mission. Lord, as we receive these elements of bread and the cup, let it be a moment of remembering that you have broken it for us and we can stand firm in that this morning. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.